from Flint Hills Books in beautiful downtown Council Grove, Kansas. This is Books and Whatnot. I'm Beth Golay, host of KMUW's Marginalia podcast. And I'm Suzanne Perez, KMUW's resident book reviewer. This episode was recorded on October 20th, 2022. So any references to new or forthcoming and the like are relative. Hello, Council Grove! <laughs> We're so excited to be here. This is fun. I just want to say, I am thrilled to have you here and thrilled to be KMUW's first remote location for Flint Hills Books to be the first uh, remote location. Uh, we're so honor. happy to be here. So let's introduce who that yeah, mystery that, voice that was. That mystery voice was Jennifer Cassabon, owner of Flint Hills Books. Of Flint Hills Books. Oh. Tell us about your store, Jennifer. How did it come to be? What was your inspiration for locating here? <laughs> Well, um, Morris County is my home county, but when I first started thinking about opening a bookstore, it was probably around 2017. First thing I did is went and interviewed a lot of different Kansas booksellers who are all very generous with their time. And they all said, it's very hard to have a, a bookstore and then you should go get training. And so I listened to them, I did that. The training said you need a population of at least 10,000 and uh, you need at least 1,200 square feet. So for those visitors to the bookstore, you will know that Council Grove in Morris County, we're rural, we're small, um, and the bookstore is small, it's 800 square feet. Um, so I looked at Manhattan for a couple of locations, those fell through, told my spouse that if this was going to happen, it's going to happen in Council Grove. And we rented the space and haven't looked back. It yeah. is a beautiful store, Jennifer. First of all, can you tell us about this painting that's to the right uh, to the right of me? Oh, <laughs> but welcome on the to street radio. side. Yes, I know. I'm trying to. Oh, it is so beautiful and so huge. Talk about that. You are going to get brownie points from a very special person in the audience. All right, <laughs> I just Bill love it. Castle. I fell in love with it when I walked in. So um, it, the artist is Zach Barnes. He resides south of Lawrence, so he's a regional artist. Um, his grandfather was a physician here in Council Grove. Dr. Royal Barker is his grandfather. When I signed the lease on this space, uh, it was our 30th wedding anniversary and couldn't go anywhere because it was COVID. And so we know Zach. Uh, we have a couple of pieces of art. And so Bill reached out to him, said, Jennifer's opening a bookstore. What do you think? Would you be interested in doing a painting for the bookstore? And Zach said, sure. So Bill requested the buffalo and I asked for a figurative painting, but I wanted um, faces in the women. Sometimes he blurs their faces. And everything else came out of Zach's imagination. And I just love it. I love I, the sunflowers around the buffalo. And, oh, so beautiful. Stunning. And how do you curate your collection here? Oh, that's a question I get quite <laughs> often. Just books you love? <laughs> <laughs> well, what I say are books I've read, books I want to read, or books I think a good bookstore should have. So I realize my taste is not everyone's taste. So I keep that in mind, but I also, I'm learning my audience's taste. And I have a very loyal customer base. And so I think about these folks when I'm ordering, um, but I also recognize that most of my customers are coming in from out of town. Um, it's I'm trying to create a destination bookstore. And then I think that helps the other businesses in town. And we do. We cooperate that way. I'm looking at two of the five owners of Riverbank Brewing as I say this. And, you know, the treats in back are 
Riverbank Brewing. I went down and supported them. They supported me. They collaborated with me to do Books and Brews, which is a book club. Talk to us about that, Books and Brews. I think it's fun. We're Again, we're just learning. I'm just learning. We have them every other month. And it's the second Monday of each month. And so we started in July, and I talked about fall releases. And then in September, our most recent uh, books and brews, we had Michael Travis, who's written a book about Kansas breweries. And so he was the main presenter. Ted Ayers, who's a dear friend of mine, um, interviewed him. Ted knows how to interview an author. Talk about a reader. Ted Ayers reads everything. Prolific, yeah. And so that was a good session. And then we're scheduled to have one on November 14th. And the game plan is for me to talk about holiday books, you know, books people may want to give for the holidays. We checked out, Beth and I, for research purposes, had to check out Riverbank Brewing. I keep wanting to call it Riverbend, but it doesn't bend there. It's just the bank. Oh, my gosh. Such a gorgeous wonderful little brewery there. Oh, it's it's so great, and uh, the beer was good, too, I'll just say. The porter, mm. oh, chocolate porter, chocolate yes, and that uh, that's what Mike said, the IPA. I just love the idea of this bookstore being here, and you walk just, I don't know, a block away, and there's the brewery, and it's just such a great downtown area. And the drive here, I'm sorry, oh, my gosh, the drive here was so gorgeous. I do Wichita. have to say that one of my favorite parts so far on this trip we were walking from Flint Hills Books to Riverbank Brewing, and there were a lot of little girls <laughs> on the sidewalk in front of some building, and they were chanting something, and Suzanne said, wait, is this a protest? Then <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, I'm in Council Grove. Probably not. <laughs> this is, that's how jaded we are in Wichita. It's got to be a protest. I do want to ask it's a question about, you know, you, you have created a destination bookstore, and I do know some of my friends who have come up to Council Grove just to see the bookstore or the brewery. But I also have lake friends. Does that, what is the population Hmm. during the winter season versus the summer season? Hmm, Less. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there are fewer people here in the wintertime. You know, there are some year-round residents. Two of them are here uh, in the audience tonight (laughs) um, and very faithful book buyers and friends now. But yeah, summer is really supposed to be my busy season. Holidays should be busy, I'm hoping. But sales have been down this year, I think in part because there's a construction project on 177 between Manhattan and Council Grove, and that has not helped. I do think the stimulus payments last year were beneficial to small businesses. Um, I think Mm -hmm. I'm not alone in saying that. Yeah. But this would be a great, I mean, time of year for someone who wants to check out your bookstore to come in the holiday season then and... Do some Christmas shopping here. There is never a time in the Flint Hills that you will not be disappointed. I mean, if we get some snow, the Flint Hills are gorgeous in the wintertime, and then in the spring, and during burning season, late spring, summer, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's year-round. And I have a lot of people coming up from Wichita in the Wichita area. There are quite a few people who come up from Emporia. I mean, Emporia is a college town uh, currently. Um, (laughs) We won't get into that story. No. <laughs> but, uh, Did I mention that she covers education? <laughs> Still a college town. There is not a local bookstore in Emporia currently. And so I'm very grateful for my Emporia patrons who come up and support the bookstore. And mm-hmm. I have many loyal ones. So. There's something about finding your bookstore. And mm. then, I mean, I have one in 
Wichita, one in Chicago, and now one in Council Grove. There's something yeah. about finding your I did store. Not, I did not pay her to say that. <laughs> <laughs> this is an unpaid testimonial. Well, I mean, independent bookstores are a different sort of place. I mean, this is where you can go and you browse and you, I mean, it's like, it's so well curated and you know that every little corner is meaningful and it, there's just a different sort of feel to it than, uh, you know, everyone knows that you can go online to that company that can, that will not be named to order books, but it's just not the same as walking into a bookstore, having someone hand you a book and say, oh my gosh, I think you will like this because I know you and I know what you like. I know I get that experience at uh, my independent bookstore in Wichita. There are certain people there that we just mesh, our tastes mesh, and they will say, oh my gosh, have you checked out such and such? And it's that hand sell that is so important and you can't really get it anywhere else. Yeah. I mean, that's the most fun for me is when I connect a person with a book and they've enjoyed the book and they come back and say, I really like that recommendation. You know, what else? Would and then you, you do recommend? a little happy dance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, when, and people say, oh, because I know I have a beautiful space here. I have a beautiful painting. I mean, it's it's lovely work environment. But when people come in and compliment me on the selection, I'm just like, oh. Okay. Yeah. Whatever you <laughs> want. Right. And I, I was an independent bookseller for 14 years, and you don't want to just sell a book. You're like a matchmaker. Mm -hmm. You want to put the right book in the right reader's hands because they will remember if you sold them a book that they loved, but they'll also remember <laughs> if you sold them a book that they do not like. And so you don't want to be the person who's just selling a book to be selling a book. You want right. to find the right book for its reader. Exactly. No, exactly. And nothing brings me more joy, too, when I have young readers. And I have to say, I do not have as many young readers as I was hoping I would. And so that's something I need to work on. But when a young reader comes in. What's young? Well, I'm talking about middle <laughs> school. Middle, okay. Yeah, middle, readers, <laughs> you know, yeah. middle school. And, you know, they're looking. And oh, what's crushing is when they say, do you have? And I'm like, no, I don't have that. But I can special order it for you. I will special order it for you. And I do. I can special order any books. But. Uh, the Dogman series, Cat Kid comic, all of those. I, I did not know about those until I opened the bookstore, and those are very popular books. For <laughs> so young it keeps readers. you young. You know yeah. what all the kids are into. <laughs> I w I, this is a story that probably won't make the podcast, but I was at a wedding um, on Saturday night and saw this young man and said, Come here. And he had no idea who I was. <laughs> and I said, When you were in fifth grade, I was working at Watermark. And you wanted the next book in the Percy Jackson series, and we had just locked the doors. And you came running up oh. with this $20 bill in your hand, and you said, no! <laughs> and so I unlocked the door and sold it to you. And so he just kind of smiled. I mean, he's in medical school right now. He smiled at me. That's probably and said, why he's in medical school. <laughs> right. And he smiled at me and said, oh. I actually remember that instance. But then he found my two daughters at the wedding and said, I just had the best moment with your mom. Aww, <laughs> I love that. That it goes back to connecting people with books. And yeah. if you're a bookseller, that's what you want to do. I mean, if you're a good bookseller, that's mm -hmm. what you want to do. And I know you were a good bookseller. Beth. Thank you. <laughs> For sure. That's how we met, I think. I think that's were how you a we customer at Watermark? I have been a customer at Watermark since I moved to Wichita in 1990. But uh, yeah, I remember meeting Beth at Watermark. So yeah. And now here we are. Oh. Me too. Life is crazy. Should we talk about some good books? Sure. All right. Is there anything um, better? No. We're going <laughs> to talk about some books we've read lately. Would you like to go first? Sure. I'll go first. Okay. The first book I'm going to talk about is called Mother Thing by Ainsley Hogarth. Not Mothering. No. And 
I read this book because I do have a trusted friend at Penguin Random House. He's worked for Random House long before they like merged with Penguin. And he has impeccable taste. And when he sent this book to me six months ago and said, you really need to speak with her, I just said, okay. And I, I just set up an interview, you know, without even reading the book. And this was an odd book. It's horror. Hmm. It's not, a good time not for it. Not W-H-O-R-E, but H-O-R-R-O-R, horror. <laughs> I like um, both, but. But it was so well written. And she was absolutely delightful. So it's about, I don't even like, What's the setup? Right? Nobody's going to buy this book, so let me start over. <laughs> um, we meet our protagonist, Abby Lamb, immediately following the death of her overbearing mother-in-law. She has just committed suicide, and now she is worried that her husband is going to follow along in the same footsteps. So she tries to be like this mother. Like She, she explains that there was some study with these monkeys, and, and then when they were taken away from their mother, and they were just given this... Um, sock to play with, the monkeys recognized the sock as this mother thing. And I said, is that where sock monkeys come from? Because I'll never look at sock monkeys again <laughs> like that, or the same way again. But um, she just, she feels like she has to prevent her depression-prone husband from following in his mother's path. And her methods of protection are just suspect at best. I mean, she uses this this How to Be a Housewife book from the 19... 60s maybe I mean she's making salmon jello molds and mm. it's just it's really odd but this is what I came away with I don't like reading horror books but they're the ones that stick with me for years I never forget them and so I don't know it was it was well written and it's unique and it's very much out of my typical book mm-hmm. that I've read and I really I, so I think everybody I'm mentioning tonight I have interviewed um, it's it's worth a listen. And I mean, what a great time of year for that type yes, of read. Yes, absolutely. Too. You're into something creepy. And so here's another thing that cracked me up because I just read. I'm I'm also we'll bring this up, but I'm going to undergrad school, which Suzanne <laughs> says in isn't this just college? <laughs> so I'm I'm going to school, and yes, I was reading this book <laughs> um, uh, called Voyage in the Dark by Jean Reese, and I was I had to write a paper, and I had done research, and I'm like oh, yeah, all of her protagonists have schizophrenia. And so I tried to project that on Ainsley Hogarth. So I asked about her, like, her mental illness, and Ainsley Hogarth says, she's perfectly sane. <laughs> well, there went that idea. <laughs> but you, you thought, thought you were so smart. I thought the protagonist oh. was, like, was so you were unreliable. Like, Talk to me about her mental illness. Yeah, and, she's and like, the author was like, she's fine. She's fine. <laughs> that, that's exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened. I love that. But I shouldn't have started with that book, but that's the no, one that's I, perfect. That's a perfect October <laughs> read. It's an it's an interesting read, and like I said, they are the books that stick with you. Mm, that's why people love Stephen King. That is Mother Thing by Ainsley Hogarth. Okay. Well, my first read that I'm bringing today is How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water by Angie Cruz. We're all, you know, happy with this podcast. Uh, (laughs) Listen to to our titles. I know. Uh, (laughs) So anyway, we're drowning and there's suicide. (laughs) It's fine. No, um, actually, this is quite a humorous book. Um, Okay, so How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water is by Angie Cruz. She wrote Dominicana. Oh, look at you. With There's someone in the audience that has it. It's like I planted her here. <laughs> She's holding it. Oh, no, she grabbed it off the shelf. It's fine. <laughs> I thought you brought it with you. I was going to say, oh, my gosh. <laughs> what are the chances? 
Okay. Um, so she wrote Dominicana. She's a Dominican woman. Um, basically, the setup of this book is Cara Romero is a woman in her 50s. It is 2009. It's the midst of the Great Recession. And she has just lost her job. She's an immigrant who has worked at the same factory for about 20 years, 25 years. And all of a sudden, there's a lot of layoffs at that factory. And she's living in Washington Heights. Her neighborhood is being gentrified. She has all of these bills, all of these expenses, and she loses her job. And so she participates in this workforce program that sends her to a job, essentially what's a job counselor or a career counselor. And what I love about this book, I love any kind of novel, as Beth knows. I love any kind of novel with an interesting structure to it. So this is uh, told in Kara's voice, but it is first person she goes to the job counselor for 12 sessions and there's 12 chapters of this book and each chapter is a session with the counselor. But she just basically uses these sessions where she's supposed to be like talking about how do I get a new job? I mean, that's basically her goal. But she ends up talking about her life and her background and how she came to America and all of the trials and tribulations that she has. Her sister and her son who's estranged and all of these things are going on in her life. This character, I am a, I'm a very character-centered reader. I love character-driven novels. I like a plot. I mean, I like for things to happen, but I am okay with just a character study. And this woman was so memorable from word one. I mean, it's obviously a novel that's sort of, I've heard it described as an ESL novel. It's obviously a novel <laughs> that's told from a perspective of someone for whom English is not their first language. Um, so there's all these Spanish phrases sort of weaved into the story. And then also, I should say, also interspersed within these different chapters where she's talking to the job counselor are these documents. So it could be like a job application that she fills out. It could be a bill that she got. One was like a dentist bill. So it's like juxtaposing her version of her life and all the things that are going on in it with what's actually happening. And there's even a, a company called Gentrification Inc. or something like that that's coming in and raising the rent. And it's a very, very slim novel. I love a little novel that packs a punch. This is definitely one of them. It is about 200 pages. I think it's 208 pages. And it tells the story of this woman that you will never forget. So that is How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water by Angie Cruz. Have you read it, Jennifer? No, I have okay. not read it. But You have oh, it look, on your shelf. I, I know. I have two <laughs> copies. Oh, look at you with your Ann Bogle. Oh, with uh, my Ann Bogle, my reading journal. life journal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so do you I, record how many pages each? Uh, I do. <laughs> Isn't that so nerdy? So then at the end of the year, do you add up how many Pages yes, I am all about checking off things on my list. So now we are late in the year, and I have a reading goal. And so I, I start reading little novels. <laughs> I start reading little ones. I'm but not going to read add, The Stand. I'm not going to read The Stand because oh. I need to get to 52. You know but what do I mean? you or add up pages? Or do oh, I don't add, add up pages. I should. I should add yeah. pages. Because Andy and I are listening right now to Pillars of the Earth, which is so freaking long. How many hours is that? Like... 38 million hours. Um, we're loving it. We are loving it. But um, And I should say, now I'm rambling. Anyway, um, I like to read, a, I love a small novel that packs a punch, but I like to have like the slow and steady novels going on in the background. So that's how I balance it, I think. Yeah, a little novel to add to your list yes. is The Boys oh, by Katie Hafner. Please do. Tell us about it. mispronouncing her name, but it was our first book club at the bookstore selection at the end of September. And I had the advanced reader copy. 
otherwise I would not have picked up this book to read it. And I uh, just wanted something a little bit, we were going on a road trip, like you, didn't want anything heavy lifting, and I just was charmed by it. You know, you start out reading this novel, and she's a good writer. She writes mm-hmm. nonfiction. This is her debut novel. You think it's going to be a book about a relationship between kind of an awkward guy, software engineer, and a woman. And then it goes into their marriage, and then there is a very strong pivot in a halfway through, which, you know. Bum, bum, I, bum. I, yeah, I cannot. I love that. Cannot disclose no that. No spoilers. Um, and I, it was one of those novels that just stuck with me, you know. And so I thought, okay, well, we're going to do this for a book club. Because oh. for book club, you don't want to have to read a You don't want to have to read a lot. And also it's good when you have differing opinions for a book club, I think. It's yeah. good when not everyone loves it. Yeah. Or you yeah. have something to talk but about. Everyone liked everyone it. Everyone liked it. It's good when everyone likes it. I loved it. it. You don't wanna... Everyone liked it. Um, and that was, what, what's the name of it again? The Boys. By? Katie Hafner, H-A-F-N-E-R. Okay, awesome. Adding that to my list. My list is ever-growing. That's the problem. What's your next one, Beth? It's also depressing. (laughs) 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 Oh, and and let me just say, the boys ends with a little bit. There's hope at the end. So, Beth. Mine was not depressing, actually. My novel was not depressing. The title was depressing. (laughs) The novel was not depressing. Um, My next one is called The Furrows by Namwali Serpel. And it is about grief. It's genre blending. Okay, so she starts out with these words. I don't want to tell you what happened. I want to tell you how it felt. And then our protagonist, our our narrator, they call her C, Cassandra. And she's 12. Her little brother Wayne is 7. She describes how one day when they're alone, um, which she keeps saying, we were allowed to be alone. I was allowed to be his babysitter. They had walked to the beach and he got swept up in the furrows and she went out to get him. She had him on her back. She could feel him die. She ends up on the shore. She sees him on the shore, but she keeps going in and out of consciousness. Some, some guy with a blue windbreaker picks her up and like takes her home and she, everybody kept, keeps saying, where's Wayne? And she doesn't know, there's no body. Nobody has ever recovered. So nobody believes her that he drowned, and so they just think he's missing. And the guy with the blue windbreaker disappears as well. And so then, you know, she tells that for a few chapters, and then she starts to tell this next section, and it's like, I don't want to tell you what happened. I want you to know how it felt. And she's 12, and Wayne is 7, and they're walking to school, and Wayne gets clipped by a car going by. So she describes how he dies three times, and a body is never recovered. So it's all about dealing with grief and the mother never accepts that her son is dead because nobody has ever recovered and it is just the most beautifully written book it was it was really amazing it was really well done and um namwali Serpel, she teaches english uh i think she teaches creative writing at harvard she knows what she's talking about it's a whole george bernard shaw those who can't mm. do those who cannot teach yeah. well she does both when i first heard about it i just kept hearing how it was on the top of everybody's list, all these booksellers' lists. And so I, I just decided to read it, and it just sucked me in immediately. The writing is beautiful. I'm not going to say whether or not we ever really know what happens to Wayne, but it's not necessarily about what happened. It's about how she felt. Mm. So, Which is kind of how I feel about books in general. Yeah. Like, I can never remember what happens. I remember how they make me feel. No, I, rem- I Your Marginalia um, interview with her was fantastic as Thank well. You. So. If you haven't listened to that, definitely 
go and listen to that. So that is The Furrows by Namwali Serpel. All right. I am going to skip to a buzzy, buzzy book. I know that you have it over there, too. It's Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng. So Celeste Ng wrote Everything I Never Told You, and she wrote Little Fires Everywhere. So Little Fires Everywhere was a Reese Witherspoon sweetheart that became... I think a series. Was it a series? I didn't watch it. I tend not to do that. I like read the book and then I think it can't be that good. So I don't watch it. Our Missing Hearts just came out recently. It is set in a very near future dystopia, not even dystopia, very near future sort of setting in America. The narrator, essentially, or the protagonist is a 12-year-old boy named Bird. He goes by Bird. And he and his father are living in this sort of near-future dystopian world where Congress has just enacted something called PACT, P-A-C-T, which means Protect American Culture and Traditions. So if you know Celeste Ng at all, you know her Little Fires Everywhere had to do with immigrant Chinese adoption and sort of cultural differences with that. Uh, Everything I Never Told You had some of those sort of topics as well. This one really digs into anti-Asian, sort of Asian hate and anti-Asian discrimination. So essentially this, um, you know, it's going to get some Handmaid's Tale sort of comps, I think. But you're basically put into this world where... Asian people, because of China's role in the global economy, are seen as, you know, the enemy. And so Bird is of Asian descent. His mother is of Asian heritage. She goes into hiding. She's actually a poet, artist, who has written a poem that becomes sort of the rallying cry for the resistance around this movement. Basically, I, what I'd like to say, but I don't want to give anything away. I haven't given any spoilers away because uh, this novel, really, uh, Bird takes a journey to try and find his mother, But what I love about Celeste Ng's writing is it's literary fiction, but it's got this really slow suspense kind of genre fiction feel to it as well. You know, there's always a what's going to happen next, what's going to happen next thread that's pulling you through it, which I really, really love. And this one, I think, is every bit as good, if not better than Little Fires Everywhere. I really, really loved it. Again, I don't want to give anything away, so I'll stop there. But it really, really digs into these issues of patriotism and discrimination and all of those sort of topics that she's touched on before, but she really, really digs into them in this one. And that is Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng. The last name is NG. And what I love about her Twitter account is it's pronounced underscore Ng, I-N-G. So it's, she tells you it's yeah. Celeste Ng. So that was a good one. Have you read that one? No, not you yet. Have but it. it's on my I mean, it just came out. But. Yeah, but nice little tidbit which you both probably know about celeste Ng. she was just named ambassador to independent bookstore i, didn't, I that? didn't know that i think i just read that in i don't doubt Pleasures it weekly and I, oh. I follow her twitter feed so that she has a great twitter feed yeah, yeah. fantastic good. well highly recommended i really love that read all right what's next for you beth i'm clutching my heart not because it's <gasps> sorrowful not because it's depressing, depressing. <laughs> <laughs> but because this is one of the most uplifting books I've read in a while. It's called The Whalebone Theater by Joanna Quinn. Oh, I love that. She has this ding, ding, ding. It's on the shelf, the shelf. Um, The same friend from Random House sent this to me like a year and a half before it came out and said, if you don't like this, just don't even tell me. He also described it, I think a colleague of his described it as, it's a wonderful example of the barely parented children in a crumbling English manor house genre. And so it's, it just is beautiful. It's, it's really well written. The characters are just so tangible. It's about this orphan, Christabel, 
and then her kind of half siblings. Well, one's a half sibling and one, I don't know, I don't even, he's not a brother, but maybe he's a cousin. They all share parents. And they're on one of the English coasts. I don't remember if it's Dorset or whatever. But, you know, they're fully ignored by all of the adults in their lives. And this takes place between the First and Second World Wars. And they teach themselves by reading the Iliad. And they put on plays. And a whale comes ashore. And Christabel, like, they have these adventures because nobody is parenting them. And she goes out there and she's, you know, she puts her flag pole in, <laughs> right into this whale to claim him. And then she learns that any whale that is beached on the coast of England belongs to His Majesty the King. So she can't claim the whale anymore. But then they create this theater in this whale. And, and they're just so, like, they're over-actors and under-supervised. And it's just... It's like nothing I've ever read before, but it's so familiar. And it is just such a great book. And I should have said this with The Furrows as well. You know, halfway through, both of these books take a huge pivot. And I didn't even touch on the pivot. So if you read The Furrows, don't get halfway through and say, she didn't even mention this guy in the <laughs> second half. twist. Anyway, Wellbone Theater does that. It, it takes a pivot when she's older. And actually, when all three siblings slash cousins it's so difficult to describe <laughs> are they what age are these are these well when we meet christabel she's two three oh, oh. but so then, children but then you know the she's a spy in world war ii i mean it's uh, it's so it's, it goes over it's not coming of age of but yeah i guess it is coming of age because they parent themselves mm-hmm. anyway it's just one of those clutch your heart Oh my gosh, so well done. Don't want it to end. Mm. Really well done. And Joanna Quinn is she lives oh, she actually lives in the same area in England. And she's I'm not going to try to guess her age, but everybody kept making a big deal about how this was her debut novel. And usually, you know, the the type of chatter like this is reserved for writers who are like 20 years old. Oh, this debut novelist. And she's <laughs> got to be in her 30s or I'm not going to say 40. She's got to be in her 30s. And I was asking her, you know, why is everybody making such a big deal out of this? And she's like, well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's just, it's a lovely, lovely book and not depressing at all. <laughs> that is definitely, <laughs> definitely on my list. That's gotten such great reviews. You know, coming up is November and some people call that nonfiction November. So you might take she's notes. She's the only one who calls it that. I do. <laughs> Because I because I need a nonfiction November. I need a I need a reason to read nonfiction, <laughs> so ah. I save them all for November. But this one I read um, in October or September even. Anyway, it is Right for Your Life by Anna Quinlan. So Anna Quinlan is a uh, well known, well regarded newspaper columnist and novelist. But she has written this wonderful little book. Again, it's a very slim book, but it packs a powerful punch. And here's the deal. It's called Write for Your Life. And it is essentially urging people to pick up a pen, pick up a pencil. If it must be a computer, fine. But write down things that uh, you're thinking of. Write a letter. Write a postcard. Just Oh, there it is. She went and fetched it from the shelf. I love the props. (laughs) I love the props. So Anna Quinlan talks about the power of writing, and she talks about it being written for civilians. So this is people who want to use the written word to sort of tap into their humanity, tap into their relationships. Think about just how awesome it is to have a letter from someone that you love. 
whether that be present day or someone from the past, or to come upon, you know, an ancestor's diary where they wrote down what was happening in their lives. These are not novelists. These are not journalists. These are not professional writers, but they're just regular people writing, you know, just writing, writing to write, writing to jot down what they feel. She uses a lot of examples. She talks about Anne Frank's diary. You know, this is a classic of literature now. It's used in schools. She was just a girl who was writing to Kitty, her diary, and saying, oh, you're just going to be my friend, Kitty, because I'm going into hiding now, and here's my life. And that was all that was. I mean, it was, she was a teenager writing. She talks about, Anna Quinlan talks about doctors who use journaling to sort of work through the emotions that they're feeling when they really, really have difficulty with all of the horrible stuff that they have to deal with. There are, you know, really programs that they teach, which I'm so glad they exist. They teach medical students to journal and to really jot down what they're feeling and to get that out. And it's a sort of writing as therapy. It's writing as getting in touch with the people you love. It will, if you read this book, it makes you want to send more letters <laughs> or journal something. It's really, really important, especially in this day and age when it's so easy to just send a text and that's okay. I mean, that is communication. Sending a text, sending an email is one thing, but when you really get a note from somebody, when you think about how important that is and really how easy it is. So it was just really incredibly inspiring. Even, to, like I said, I'm a professional writer. I do it all the time, so I tend not to think about the power that those words can have when they're written to somebody in your life. So I highly recommend it. It would be a great gift for a lot of people. Any family member, I would say, it would be a wonderful, wonderful gift for us to sort of encourage them to get that stuff in writing. So that is Write for Your Life by Anna Quinlan. You know, I, I've been trying to figure out which Anna Quinlan books I've read, and I think I've read two fiction and one nonfiction because my first introduction to her was Blessings, mm -hmm. And I remember my sob was like, <laughs> yeah, she's a I, tear, it's the first time I had sobbed out loud with a book. Was yes. And then I think it's cathartic, I read, Beth. Then I think I read Rise and Shine, but also I read How Reading Changed My Life. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm just looking at her mm -hmm. also by page and it's just kind of, yeah, it's very impressive. And so. then she has a lot of uh, compilation sort of essays. Um, yeah, that's like yeah. the How Reading Changed My Life. Yeah, that's very short. Was how reading changed my life? There, the address to the college graduates? No, I don't. Think no, so. I think no. There a, was one of those too. It was like a short, yeah, happy. short guide to a happy life or something. Maybe. Fantastic. Yeah. My introduction to Anna Quinlan. I still can remember where I was when I finished. This oh, book. don't you love you that? Know, that, oh, that was one true thing. You know, it's a story. Mm. It's it's a memoir, really, uh, of having to come out or leaving college because her mother had cancer and she was the only daughter. There were sons. And she left school to take care of her mother during her mother's final days. And as I recall, I'd have to go back and reread the book, you know, she was a little, a little resentful mm -hmm. that she, as the female in the family, had to do that. And I could appreciate that, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, she had brothers. They, in today's day and age, everyone would chip in. But she well, you would hope. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But, yeah, she was in her 20s and that, yeah. Had to leave school and... Um, but, you know, it sounds like you're a kindred spirit, Suzanne, because she's a journalist, you're a journalist. Yes, and I have always loved her journalism, too, and her column writing was what really spoke to me mm -hmm. first. But then her fiction is is fabulous. You know, you always wonder, like, can they make the switch? Can the nonfiction, you know, journalist really write a novel? Can the novelist? She's just so, she's a genius. I just love her writing. And, and this one is just, like I said, it's like the perfect, like, thing to give 
someone you love. And then, you know, maybe you'll get a little happy mail <laughs> in return. <laughs> you'll notice that in the bookstore, I have cards, stationery, yes. all things like that. So I am, a, a, <laughs> you know, I have a weakness for people who will send a written note. And I yeah. try to do that, too. So. Yeah. I have a pen and paper fetish. I just cannot stop myself. Oh, she just bought the Steinbeck pencils. Blackwing. Oh, the very, black yeah, wing. the Blackwing. Mm -hmm. oh, those are. We're pen, pen and pencil nerds. <laughs> okay. So my next book, it's a book for young readers. It is called. Door of No Return by Kwame Alexander. And Kwame Alexander is a poet, oh, educator, publisher, and New York Times bestselling author of 36 books. Hmm. He's been awarded the Caldecott Medal, the Newbery Medal, was longlisted for the National Book Award, was the recipient of the Lee Bennett Hopkins Poetry Award and the Coretta Scott King Author Honor, and three NAACP Image Award nominations, and the inaugural Pat Conroy Legacy Award, and he's also NPR's Morning Edition Poet in Residence. <sighs> so <laughs> this a is a book told in verse, and I was able to speak with him. And he was coming to Wichita, and I wanted to be able to talk to him beforehand so we could air the interview, you know, I think it was the day before he arrived. And so I drove to the station on a Sunday night, had to wait for him to navigate LAX. And then when we finally finally got it done. It was just the most amazing conversation because I was asking him, you know, what can you say to people who might be intimidated by this novel told in verse? Because, you know, I read it and I, you know, I don't know if I'm supposed to be reading the enjambments. And he's like, I haven't heard enjambments since my University of Virginia days. And, what is that? And he, you know, it's where the poem goes on to the next line and you, but you can, you can read it as just the line but then if you read it till it has the punctuation, it has another meaning. There's a word for that? Enjambment. E-N-J-A-M-B-N-E. Did you guys know that? I did not. I did not. Anyway, Enjambment. he said, <laughs> he said, Beth, kids love this. They they see the white space and they're like, I can read this. It's going to take, take 60 seconds. He said, it's the adults that are intimidated by this, which is very true. I'm very intimidated by poetry. By poetry. Right. And so it well, was. Well, they just, see it as poetry, and the kids see the white space and realize they can read it quickly. Yes. I love that. It was just really, it was well done. It's historical fiction told in verse, and it's based on the real lives of the Ashanti people. And he tells the saga of an African family through the eyes of a 12 year old, Kofi, and his friend, Alma, as, you know, as a coming of age in pre colonial Ghana. And when I was talking to him, I was struck by something I think he wrote in the acknowledgments about how. You know, we know the story of blacks in America, but that's not the beginning. You know, 1619 wasn't the beginning. That's the middle. And let's go back to the beginning and, and tell the story before mm -hmm. that happened. And so it's just, it's powerful. It's for young people, but it's good for adults Well, can as well. we just, yeah, I mean, can we pipe in here that just because something is written for young people doesn't mean that a, a lot of adults would not well, love and, this Well, and he took me to task on that too because I said, okay, so it says like, Great, and I get I can't even middle find grade. It now. It's middle grade, and technically. Like, he he was like scolding me for mm -hmm. for trying to pigeonhole. But him and Jason Reynolds, I mean, right. uh, you know, Jason Reynolds, what the you know, essentially the young people's poet laureate. Poet laureate. Yeah. And I mean, I yeah, give that to any any adult, and it's like, oh my gosh, it's magical. And the thing is, you know, I was trying to read the enjambments, but if you just read it, it's just a great story. Next. So that was Door of No Return by Kwame Alexander. Okay, and this is my last one. Oh, my gosh. This book. <laughs> okay, 
It's called Comfort Me with Apples. It's not the Ruth Reichel foodie book. That's There's another book called Comfort Me with Apples. This one is by Catherine M. Valente. I heard about it on a book podcast that I listened to called Currently Reading. They invite an independent bookstore once a month to give them a stack of books, five books. You know, these are our picks for the month. Comfort Me with Apples was one of their fall creepy reads. It's, again, very slim novel. It's about 103 pages. It's really a novella. It's like a... Short story, really, when you think about it. It is so creepy and weird, and I can't really tell you much about it other than just go read it and make sure one of your friends reads it so you can talk about it. <laughs> so I will give you a little bit of setup. It is the story of a woman named Sophia, and she's living in a perfect neighborhood, and everything is very perfect. Her husband is perfect. The yards around her are perfect. The HOA has all of these rules about the colors that you can paint your house, and all of the colors are basically white or cream. And it sets you into this world, and you meet Sophia, and it's from her point of view. And her husband's gone a lot, and she doesn't know why, and she starts to ask questions, and that's where it gets interesting. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. This book was one that I zoomed through one sitting immediately wanted to talk to someone about it handed it to Andy said read this we immediately yeah talked about it you want to read it again because there's things in there that you aren't picking up along the way it really resolves itself it's not an ambiguous ending at all but what I will say is it 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 drives you to go look up things <laughs> and to find out about ooh what is what is that what is that uh, okay, it's really hard to talk about this book without giving away spoilers, and I really, really don't want to give away spoilers. So my tip to you is to find this book, order this book from here, get it, don't read anything about it other than what I just told you, and uh, I'd love if any of you read it to uh, email me and tell me what you think, and we can compare notes. That is Comfort Me With Apples. It's a perfect time of year for it, too, because it's super creepy. Not scary creepy, but just creepy creepy. Uh, Comfort Me With Apples by Catherine, and it's spelled weirdly, C-A-T-H-E-R-Y-N-N-E, -N -N -E, Catherine M. Valente. I'm going to skip over the fact that you said about 103 pages, but I do want to ask... <laughs> it's about 103 pages. It could be 103 and three lines. But when you said, um, don't read anything about it, do you... Uh, do you? So This is a struggle, Beth. Do you read, like... Blurbs jacket or jacket copy. copy or anything before? I mean, do you have to know what the book is about before you start to read it? Yes. I hate that. Really? It's a struggle because who doesn't read the jacket copy? That's how you shop, right? You don't read the jacket copy. So you just listen to uh, word of mouth. Oh, okay. That's the way to go, actually, because I hate a spoiler. And I tell you what, the publishers need to get on the ball and realize that some of this jacket copy gives away important stuff in the plot. I remember, oh gosh, what was it? I can't remember the actual novel. It was one I read last year. And I was like, what? I mean, there was something they said in the jacket copy that doesn't happen until halfway through the book. And I was just like, so mad that I had read it. I hate, hate, hate spoilers. 
I don't like it. Well, how do you decide then what you're going to read? If you're in a bookstore and you don't have your notes. It's, da- it's people it's like you. Yeah, it's very <laughs> daunting to it walk is into daunting. a bookstore with $20. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got $100. What am I? <laughs> it's very daunting because you don't know. Yeah, it's, it's I want you to tell me what to read. Or, or I do um, listen, and I do, I, you, it's hard to avoid some type of blurb, but I really try to limit myself. Well, do you pay attention to the blurbs and not read the? I mean, inside? I meant some, the description mm-hmm. of the you know setup of. I, I listen to I listen to a lot of book podcasts that are like very very intentionally non spoilery, and then you know stuff like the indie next list, like you have mm-hmm. the indie next list here, that gives you just a little bit about it. And frankly, anymore, there are so many authors that I will just buy sight unseen. <laughs> Just like, oh, Celeste Ng has a new novel out. I don't care what it's about. I'm going to buy it, you know. So, but it's hard. I do, I avoid jacket copy because I do think that they'll spoil it. But blurbs, I am a sucker for a blurb. Well, John Green blurb. But I also understand that in the, in the book industry, that's like buying your buddy a beer. Oh yeah, I'll blurb your book. I mean, it really is. That's how, that's how they describe it. It's like, oh, I blurbed his book. That means I just I just but they read it though, right? Hopefully. Oh. <laughs> you hope they read it. John Green wouldn't blurb something without reading That's it. That's probably true. I was in New York at a pub dinner. Who wrote? Um, I was in New York at a pub dinner. I know. It's kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> she just drops these things. Who wrote, practical, who wrote Practical Magic? Alice Hoffman? Yes. yes. I, so I was invited to go to this dinner with Alice Hoffman because she was struggling. <laughs> she had just been diagnosed with breast cancer, and the publisher knew that I had already gone through it. And so he wanted me there just so she could have a sounding board if she needed to. And so I went to this dinner. And I made the mistake of, you know, drinking way too much wine. <laughs> and then I'm at this dinner, and these publishers are there, and I they're talking about some book, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you had two typos on your, on your jacket. <gasps> the, the looks on their faces were, they were horrified. And then I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said yeah, that. Yeah, probably not. And they're like, what? Are you kidding? So I pull out the book, and I showed them. Right here. I love it. And that's why she's never been to a pub dinner at New York again. <laughs> no, I have. <laughs> Typos make me crazy in books. Yeah. Can I? I'll share one little thing about debuts. So I heard something recently about debut novels, and if you talk to book people, they're always a lot of book people I talk to say, "Oh my gosh, it was a debut novel, and it was so wonderful. I'm so surprised it was a debut." And I just heard someone from the publishing industry explain, and when you think about it, when you really think about it, it makes so much sense. It was an epiphany moment for me very recently. And they said, a debut novel, first of all, that author is sight unseen. That story has to be so good that it catches the eye of an agent and then a publisher and all of that. That debut novel goes through an editing process like no other, because this is a totally unknown name. You know, when you have a known author doing their third, fourth, fifth book, they're on a deadline. We want you to write another one because we want to make more money. So it makes so much sense that these debut novels, which we think are, oh, it's a debut novel. It's kind of a crapshoot. They are some of the best books I read every year. There were several debut novels I've read this year that I'm just like, oh my gosh, that was so fantastic. But it makes so much sense to me that those would be 
so much more edited and there would be much more back and forth with the author. And is that why we have so much scrutiny when it comes to the sophomore? Yeah, well, the sophomore slump and all that that you hear about. Oh, let's talk about Kevin Wilson, Jennifer. Oh, (laughs) speaking of non-sophomore slump, Kevin Wilson is one of my auto buy authors. And we were talking earlier. So Nothing to See Here is a novel that I listened to on audio and absolutely loved. And it was one of those novels that made me want to read all of his backlist. You read Family Fang, though, right? Mm -hmm. I have not. But that's... That's the entirety of his backlist, isn't it? Okay, so only two. So his third, (laughs) but his third novel is coming out, is it next month? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think November 1st. So it's called Now is Not the Time to Panic. Mm -hmm. We are transitioning into our books that we're excited about portion of the podcast. And this is mine. It's Now is Not the Time to Panic by Kevin Wilson. He is, well, I mean, um, nothing to see here was a book about kids who catch on fire when they get mad. I mean, essentially, if you need to. No. But it was about so much more. You know what I mean? It's hard to like sell that book because it's like, oh, there's this like magical realism aspect to it that people are like, oh, I don't know. That sounds a little weird. But it's so human and so much about relationships. True. You don't lead with the fact that the kids catch on fire. Okay, (laughs) well, it's about kids who catch on fire. No, it's about politics. We talked about and Mm -hmm. friendships. And basketball. Yes, um, yes. You know, so it's got a little something for everyone. Um, it, I think he's very creative, and his storytelling captures you. The Family Fang was talking about a family of performance artists. Mm. Very quirky. I mean, you know, quirky, quirky characters. And and I really enjoyed Nothing to See Here. Oh, yeah. I cannot wait to read Now is Not the Time to Panic. And apparently Now is Not the Time to Panic is part of this new genre where the 1980s are now historical fiction, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, because isn't the storyline, yes. do we want to talk about the story? I mean, it's these two artists, and they put yes. up a poster, and then something happens. Something, it's like two kids in the summertime, like, trying to make, trying to have fun, because there's no iPhones, you know, basically. Yeah. It's like, oh, gosh, this is historical fiction now. <laughs> okay. It's depressing. <laughs> it comes out November 8th. So yeah. Oh, it, fantastic. Be. Right around the corner. What else mm-hmm. are you excited about? Well, um, a lot of books, yeah. but um, I just got back from Heartland Fall Forum, which is the Midwest Independent Booksellers Association Fall Trade Show. And so I have three books that I thought I would mention here. First one is a debut novel, <gasps> and it was sold to me. It's a Doubleday book. It's American Mermaid by Julia Langbine same editor as the editor for Lessons in Chemistry. And we were talking earlier, Mm -hmm. I know, Suzanne, you weren't a fan (laughs) of Lessons in Chemistry. I liked it. I just didn't love it. But I loved that book. I thought it was really great. A lot of people loved it. I'm looking at the blurb, and did I see on the back, Madeline Miller? Yes. (laughs) So there's that. I I would buy it because she Is it mythology then? No. No. Well, this is, this is, (laughs) it, I've started it. Madeline Miller, Cersei, and and Song of Achilles. Achilles. Oh, my Yes, so I'm with you. Madeline Miller blurbed the book, so I'm thinking, yeah, it's got to be good. Mm -hmm. Or she bought someone a beer. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) Cheers. We don't know. (laughs) Could be anything. Interesting story, though. It's about a young woman. Well, it's a school teacher who writes this novel about a young woman who is a mermaid. Um, so this, the story within the story is this baby is a mermaid. Her parents find her and then change her from being a mermaid to a human. 
Okay. And then the story teacher who wrote this novel is going to turn this into a screenplay. So then he, she quits her teaching job, goes to LA, and is going to work with two other screenwriters to develop a screenplay about this story. So it's a book within a book sort of it thing? It is. As I, as I describe I it, I think that's an accurate description of this mm. book. I also like the way that she said, and so they turned her from a mermaid into a human, okay? Like, <laughs> that's supposed to be okay. Because that's the magic of reading. Well, that bit. sounds very no, Kevin Wilson. It was, it was charming. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so that, that's yeah. something that... I love be, the cover, I, too. Yeah, I think that will be interesting. Do you think mm-hmm. that's going to be the final cover? I don't know. Mm. And when you know, is it When is it out? I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not sure when it comes out. That. March 21st. Okay. okay, wow, okay. Then oh. Timothy Egan has a new book out, A Fever in the Heartland, The Ku Klux Klan's Plot to Take Over America and the Woman Who Stopped Them. You know, yes. nonfiction, Sign me up. Timothy Egan. Um, I started reading this because I was trying to... I was trying to complete one of these books before we had this <laughs> podcast, and so I'm just... Oh, having, goals. Uh, and, and Timothy Egan's book comes out April 4th of next year, but it is scary how much it parallels... Well, I don't know. It, I don't want to say the mm-hmm. Ku Klux Klan is alive and well right now, but, you know... They are, though. It, it's <laughs> just white supremacy, mm-hmm. and then you read this book, and, you know, obviously we haven't finished it, but... It's um, wow! It's just eye-opening, even just in the very beginning pages. Yes, and I think how relevant it is right now. I think Timothy Egan does not disappoint. No, I mean, yeah, no, no he's, matter he's, what he writes, he's, he's solid. Yeah, um, and then David Graham, <gasps> who wrote *Killers of the Flower Moon*, his new book is *The Wager: A Tale of Shipwreck, Mutiny, and Murder*, and. It comes out April 18th. David Grann, oh my gosh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Talk about buzz in a book. And we're still waiting on that movie, which is being filmed in Oklahoma. But wow, well, that was a great be. one. Yes, of course, filmed in Oklahoma. <laughs> but, there was, but that was one of those books. And I don't, like I said, I don't read much nonfiction. I don't read much history. But when I do, I inevitably have this response like, why didn't I learn this in school? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like that and, and like um, hidden figures and stuff like that. You're just like... How are all of these, and that's what I, why I love these authors that just will really grab on to one of those topics, those micro-histories or whatever, and really tell the story about them. Killers of the Flower Moon was, fan, I mean, fantastic. It was fascinating. And horrible. And horrible, yes. Yeah. But I mean, because the, it's t- true. Yes, And yes. it happened, you know, it happened an hour just and a half hours south away. of Wichita, yeah. fewer than 100 years ago. That's what's sickening. Is yeah. that, and we had no idea. Right. Yeah. Speaking of, though, the Ku Klux Klan novel, mm-hmm. one nonfiction book I have to plug every time I get a chance is the Megan Phelps Roper uh, memoir, Unfollow. Oh, uh-huh. So this is, she was in the Phelps family. She was Fred Phelps's granddaughter, and she wrote a memoir called Unfollow, and it was about growing up in that family and just basically what she thought was normal versus what wasn't and it was interesting for me from my perspective reading it because I was a journalist in Wichita in the 90s and I covered funerals that the Phelps family would protest and Megan Phelps Roper who wrote this book was like yelling at me calling me you know spawn of the devil I mean journalists that's what journalists were and that's what she was taught but it is so well written and it is such a fascinating look at that sort of brainwashing that can happen in those sorts of 
of situations, and I highly recommend it. It was about sort of how she got away from all that, and now she's no longer part of that family. But anyway, I always have to plug that book anytime I can. So you mentioned the KKK, and I'm like, the Phelps family. <laughs> I don't know. It's similar. Well, um, Demon Copperhead, we were talking about that oh, by Barbara Kingsolver. Yes. And that's going to be a big book, I think. Demon Copperhead holidays. by Barbara Kingsolver. Mm -hmm. yes. It follows, it sort of parallels David Copperfield. And I think we... She's pointing. It's on the shelf yeah, right yeah. now. It's, yeah, it's for sale right now. Yeah. Um, and if you saw some recent news um, about her, you know, she was explaining how she was actually in Charles Dickens' house mm. in his study, you know, writing this book she started this book when she was vacationing with her husband in dickens home and so i'm really excited to read it i haven't read it yet yeah um, i haven't read david copperfield though so i always wonder like when books like this come out and they're like based on something else do you have to have read david copperfield no. i hear you don't no well yeah. that's just like madeline miller's like song of achilles song of achilles yeah. or cersei or, or, or cersei. cersei i right. mean cersei i loved cersei and um you know, you don't really have to know that much mythology. Right. Mythology to, and to sometimes it. it helps make the original more accessible. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Yeah, or it makes you, inspires you to read it. Right. So when you're in New York and you're having dinner with a <laughs> okay. publisher. Yes, when I'm at a literary <laughs> dinner in New York. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, How about you? Anything that well, you're excited about? I do. This actually is a good segue into this audio that I want to play. So I interviewed this woman named Kamala Shamsi uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I think the audio will kind of explain it all. Also, before we get started, mm -hmm. I, wa I want to tell you how you influenced me because I've told this story to so many people. It's only fair that I tell you. We spoke in 2017 for Home Fire. And I had read the book. I had all of my questions prepared. I had about three hours before the interview began. And I read mm -hmm. your acknowledgments. And you mm -hmm. thanked somebody for giving you the idea for retelling Antigone in a modern day context. And I thought, son of a bitch, that was Antigone. <laughs> I hadn't recognized it. I had read it in high school, but I didn't recognize it. And it yeah. made me realize that I was just woefully unprepared in my English studies. So I went back to school to get another undergraduate degree in English. And I'm almost finished with it now. Oh but my God. thank you so much for helping to propel me in that oh, direction. You know, but I, but I almost feel bad because the truth is when that guy said to me, I want you to rewrite Antigone, my response was, Internally, was which one is Antigone? <laughs> so, if I told you that earlier, maybe you wouldn't have gone back. <laughs> Wait, which one was Antigone? I love that so much. Oh man! Yeah. All right. Anyway, she, Kamala Shamsi, she won the Women's Prize for Fiction, mm -hmm. and it was long listed for the Booker for Home Fire, Antigone retold. Um, and this one is called Best of Friends, and. Um, it's not quite as good as Home Fire. <laughs> anyway. So that sounds like a good place to stop. Until next time, Beth. Keep turning those pages. Bye. Bye. That's oh my God. That was worth it. Books and Whatnot is a production of KMUW Wichita. Our team of engineers, producers, editors, and hosts are Mark Statzer, Torin Anderson, Haley Krausen, Jonathan Huber, Luann Stevens, Carly Cooper, Beth Golay, and Suzanne Perez. You can reach us by email sent to podcasts at kmuw.org, on Twitter at Books and Whatnot, and on Instagram, books underscore and underscore whatnot. Find more conversations and a list of books discussed in this episode at kmuw.org.